Hello, and welcome to Wicked Wednesdays, your weekly podcast on sex and sexuality, with an emphasis on BDSM, kink, and poly relationships. I'm your host, Wicked Fellow, and this week we have the second part of the kinky threesomes interview with Katja that we recorded a while ago. I'm going to lead into this by talking about some kinky dating red flags and answer a viewer question that I received recently. Before we get started, I want to send a special shout out to our newest Patreon member, Anne. Thank you very much for your support. I could not produce this podcast without the support of my Patreon followers, and you guys are simply amazing. If you would like to become a Patreon, head over to wickedfellow.com. That's my website where I host the podcast as well as all of our adult sites. Our media links can be found there and our socials are there as well. Before we get into the second part of the Kinky Threesomes episode, I wanted to address a concern that one of my viewers had, and I receive emails like this all the time. And it comes about when someone's trying to get into kink, or they're dating in the kinky scene, and some of the red flags that they get from potential kinky partners. So dating in the kink world is a lot like dating in the regular world. You're going to have a lot of bad responses or no responses and you know the ratio of who's a good match versus who's not a good match as anybody that's been on a dating site knows is you know 100 to 1 something like that it's very rare that you open up a dating app and you immediately find someone you connect with and they like you etc but this is in response to you know several messages that she received and what's a red flag and what's a green flag I really appreciate her sending these in because I do get this question all the time. People will talk to me about an encounter they had in a kink dating space and wonder, you know, was I in the wrong? Was I in the right? What should I watch out for, etc. And I think we will dedicate another episode, maybe several episodes, to navigating your way through the kink dating scene. I know that in the past we've talked about what are good signs, what is being a good dom about, being a good sub, etc. But it's certainly something worth reiterating because not everybody's going to go through our entire back catalog to find one piece of wisdom from back then. Just like in vanilla dating, there's going to be things about someone's profile that immediately appeal to you or are immediately off-putting to you, right? And... When I say kink dating scene, I'm not necessarily talking about kink-specific dating sites, though there are some kink-specific dating sites. I think that because of the nature of what we do, you can have as much success using a traditional vanilla dating site like OKC or Tinder, etc., and simply being very forward in your bio about what you're looking for. So you can say, you know, I'm kinky and I'm looking for this kind of relationship dynamic. The problem with that is that a lot of people will see kinky or subservient or poly, and they read that as, oh, this is just no strings attached sex. I can use this person. I can abuse this person. I don't have to take care of this person. I don't have to invest anything into this relationship because they're kinky or they're submissive or they're poly, etc. And that is very difficult, you know? I think that on dating sites, this is fairly universal. A lot of people use dating sites for the exact same reason, but they seem to read those descriptions as invitations for bad behavior, especially people that have ancillary knowledge of what kink and BDSM and domination and submission mean, but they'd have no real world experience or they're very bad at what they do in a kink setting. 
it can be difficult. You know, dating is not easy no matter how you go about finding a partner. But in this situation, these particular gentlemen were kind enough to give some very early red flags. And I'm really proud of my listener who immediately recognized those, said, no, this is not the situation for me, and I don't want to have anything to do with this kind of person. So one of the red flags to look out for, one of the gentlemen that contacted her was very specific that he wanted an inexperienced sub, someone that he could, quote, train the right way. That is a red flag. It really is. Because it's a lot like virgin hunting among a certain subset of the male population. They're so insecure that they want to have a virgin companion so that this person doesn't have anybody to compare them to, doesn't have any past relationships that might reflect negatively on this current relationship. There's a very misogynistic, very insecure dynamic going on there. Because if you only want to be with a virgin, why? What are you worried about? Are you worried that perhaps she's going to compare you unfavorably to some past partner, etc.? And the kink dynamic, you know, saying that he wants someone who's inexperienced in submissions so that he can train them the correct way or the way that he believes is the right way. Again, to me, that speaks of a deep degree of insecurity because no matter what someone's past experience in kink is, if they're willing to play with you and they're willing to work with you and be your partner, they're going to be willing to follow your rule set as a dom if they respect you as a dom. So again, I feel like there's a lot of insecurity there. I feel like there is a lot of, I don't want to have to deal with someone who has had another dominant partner because then I have to somehow excel them. You know, I really don't understand what that problem is. Perhaps they're worried that they won't be able to retrain their new partner to their liking, that their old conditioning will be too strong. Again, I don't believe in that. People are very flexible and submissive people who enjoy being pleasing and enjoy being in a submissive role will work very hard to adopt a new rule set, for example. To me, saying that you want an inexperienced sub, again, that is speaking towards, I don't want someone that's going to hold me accountable. I don't want someone that is experienced and understands that the way that I'm doing things isn't correct, that isn't right, and isn't good. I feel very comfortable making this judgment in this case specifically because after stating that he wanted an inexperienced sub, he immediately went into, I will own you, you will give yourself to me completely, I can come over there right now and take possession of you, and that is entirely wrong-headed. You don't get to demand somebody's submission. You don't get to just walk into someone's life, demand their submission, and expect them to be completely subservient to you. You have to earn that respect. You have to earn that. And it has to be freely given from the subservient. It is not something that you can assume. And if you try to assume it, you are saying so much about your insecurity as a dominant. So... When my listener refused and didn't want to have anything to do with that kind of relationship, that person immediately turned abusive and said that she was entitled and didn't know what she was doing and some other very, you know, gendered slurs that are very common when you tell someone like this, no. And that is, you know, on one hand, I thank him for being so very open with his flaws. On the other hand, I'm sure that a lot of you 
face this in a day-to-day situation, either through dating or interactions in the kink community. And it sucks. It really does. It is not how healthy kink is played. A lot of people have a very skewed idea of what it means to be a dominant. Unfortunately, there is no board of dominance issuing licenses to people to be dominant. Anybody can claim that they're a dominant. You have to decide for yourself if the person you're talking to is worthy of your respect, and certainly if they're worthy of your submission. And if you tell them no to a very unreasonable demand and they immediately turn abusive and start degrading you, that is a clear sign that you should block that person, walk away, and never look back. Because that's never going to be a healthy relationship. I've talked in the past about how some doms feel like if they're not hyper-dominant from the very first message, that no sub will respect them. And that is simply not true. Subs respect real dominance, real power. And real dominance and real power doesn't need to assert itself in the first 10 lines of a text message. They're going to know you're dominant if you are truly dominant. You don't have to force that domination upon them. So that was the first person that she had contacted and had some exchange with. And again, I'm very proud of her for seeing that this is a red flag. This is not the kind of domination submission I want in my life. And we're just going to walk away from that. And I would encourage anybody to do that. I know that some of you have very strong kinks that lie in this direction. And there's nothing wrong with that. The kink of this person comes in and they're hyper-dominant and they just take control. I know that there's a lot of sexual energy there and that's very exciting. But you have to have an initial negotiation of how this is going to work. And in this case, that was not happening. This person was not interested in establishing boundaries and understanding what's going on between themselves and this potential submissive. They wanted to barge in, be hyper-dominant and most likely leave very shortly afterwards. This is not a healthy beginning to a relationship. Now we move on to contact number two. And this is all coming from the same person who, they're getting into the kink scene, they've been interested in it for a while, and in order to play, in order to have fun and experience this kinky lifestyle, you need to have a partner. In order to find a partner, dating apps are a good resource. However, like dating apps in general, there's going to be some landmines and some pitfalls to watch out for. The next person that she was in contact with seemed fairly promising from the beginning. But then when he presented her with a list of the kind of kinky things he wanted to do, some of the things on that list were things that this person did not want to do, that the listener who wrote in did not want to do, and found you know very distasteful, were not to her liking at all. And the response from this Dom was, no, you're going to do these things and I'm going to teach you how to enjoy them. You will do them. You know, again, that may seem like very dominant behavior. It may seem like something that's sexy and powerful to say, you're going to like this. I'm going to teach you to like it, etc. And there may be a place in an established dominant submissive relationship for that kind of limit pushing. I do that with Katya all the time. Because I have a relationship with Katya, I have Katya's respect and trust, and I know where her limits are. So if I want to push on that boundary, I can feel safe and comfortable doing that, knowing that if there is too much pressure and I'm putting too much force on Katya, she will tell me. She feels comfortable and safe telling me. Before you've even met somebody, in the initial text conversation with somebody, 
You do not have the authority, the permission, the license to tell this new person in your life, I don't care what you like and don't like. You're going to like what I like and you're going to submit to my authority. You're going to do what I say. And even if you think that this thing is abhorrent, you're going to do it anyway. Again, very proud of my listener for saying, no, that's not the kind of relationship I'm looking for. You know, I expect that my boundaries, that my wishes be respected, etc. And wouldn't you know it, this person immediately turned to abuse. This is a very common thread that you'll see. And honestly, I think it's not unhealthy at all. When you're negotiating a relationship with a new dominant person, tell them no about something. See how they respond to that. See how they react to you saying no. Because a submissive should always be able to say no. And that no should be met with, okay, I would like to know more about this. Tell me why this thing you don't like. Tell me why you're saying no. Or, I respect that. We're not going to talk about that anymore. I think that that's really important. Even if it's just a test. Because... A lot of times in these initial conversations and in these initial text messages, we're putting our best foot forward and we want to be liked by this person. And we go above and beyond the call of duty to make ourselves agreeable and likable. So that initial no may not happen for a while, but you don't want to be in a situation with somebody in a kink setting where the first time you tell them no is when you're strapped to a bed and they're wanting to do something with you that you don't want to do. That's why I always stress the importance of communication, especially that initial negotiation between a dom and a sub. So in this case, you know, I'm very proud of her for saying, no, I'm not interested in playing those particular games that you want to do. I'm interested in these other things, but this particular kink you have, I don't want to do that. Person immediately turned abusive, you know, again, I kind of commend these guys for showing their true colors so openly and making it very clear. At the same time, it's very worrying to me because not everybody that's trying out kink, that's getting into BDSM, that is new to this whole thing, will know that what this person is asking is beyond the pale, that it's not acceptable, that they have no right to demand things of someone who they don't even have an established relationship with. And I do worry, you know, I worry about that in general. I know that, you know, dating can be fraught with hazards no matter what. But kink dating is especially worrisome for me because I care about our community. I care about the reputation of our community. And just because somebody thinks they're dominant and thinks they know how to play and gets online and says, I'm a dominant and I'm looking for a submissive and then acts badly and acts in a way that's very damaging to the kink community... In a way, we have to own that because it's up to us to say, that's not how we do kink. That is not healthy kink. That person is an outlier. They are acting on their own authority and we don't accept that. So I'm saying now, we don't accept that kind of behavior. We do not endorse or encourage people being assholes in the name of kink. And that's what these guys are. They're not interested in a relationship with a submissive. They want a toy. They want someone that they can use and discard. And that's very clear based on these messages. If you immediately turn abusive to someone who tells you no because they don't like one of your kinks, that is not good dom-sub behavior. You need to respect the boundaries of your submissive, no matter what they are. You don't get to tell them, no, I will teach you to like this and you're going to do this thing. 
you haven't even met this person. That's not good kink behavior. So I want to get that word out there. I want you guys to recognize that. I want you to really, you know, write this in stone that being submissive is not being a doormat. Being submissive is not putting yourself out there to be commanded by anybody who calls themselves a dominant. Dominance, respect, power, power exchange in a kink dynamic is earned. It's not assumed. You don't get to call yourself a dominant and expect any submissive person to follow your lead, period. And now we move on to contact number three. And again, this is going to sound like a nightmare of, you know, three out of four people end up being awful online. That's kind of dating in general. I don't think that that's necessarily kink dating. I think that's just dating. You know, when I'm on vanilla dating sites, there's very little like to like ratio. So I don't expect that to be any different in the kink scene. But to give you a ray of hope, we have three bad outcomes and one good outcome. The third person had DS in their profile that they were interested in having a submissive. They begin talking and this dominant says that he has a particular kink that he wants the submissive to do. This kink is not something that the submissive is interested in. It's not something that she wants to do. And again, this is not going to be any surprise. When the submissive says, no, I'm not interested in that, the person again immediately becomes abusive. It's very surprising to me how quickly these, you know, gendered slurs come out and how abusive the language can become so very quickly as soon as you tell these people, no, I don't want to do that thing. These could all be the same story. You know, it does seem like there's a pattern of behavior here. And that's because there is a pattern of behavior here. I think that people who are like this, people who think of themselves as dominant and kinky, but don't actually understand how the scene works, who expect that because they call themselves a dominant and present themselves as a dominant, that any submissive they meet should immediately fall into line and do exactly what they say. And if that doesn't happen, then they get very angry and they start hurling abuse. There is certainly a type there. It's very authoritarian, you know, quasi-fascist, and that's not good kink behavior. A question I'd be interested in, and none of these conversations even got to this point, because I'm very happy that I played at least some part in educating this person that they are to be respected and that not everybody that says they're a dominant can command their respect, etc. You know, she was very quick to shut these conversations down. Because she understood that this is not acceptable. I don't have to be treated like this. I want to play and I want to be involved in this kink lifestyle, but I'm not going to play with someone who doesn't respect me. And I cannot endorse that attitude highly enough. So all these conversations were shut down fairly quickly. But what I would like to find out from these guys is what they thought their responsibilities were as a dom. What did they think they would have to give to a relationship with a submissive or are they under the misunderstanding that it's all receive that having a submissive partner just means that you take and take and take and you never give that there's no balance here and i guarantee you that these guys would be very hard pressed to explain to a submissive what exactly they had to offer because it is a two-way street a dominant submissive relationship is not one where the dom benefits and the sub gives. There is a mutual beneficial exchange going on. And if both parties aren't being fulfilled, then it's not going to work. 
And unfortunately, too many dominant submissive relationships, the submissive gives and gives and gives and never really receives anything from the dominant. And that's not how it should be. So yeah, if you're in the kinky dating scene and you keep running into these, you know, bad profiles, these bad actors, understand that a lot of people don't know how to play healthily. There's no board dispensing licenses for doms and subs. Anybody can claim to be anything in the kink dating scene. So if you run across a profile and it seems interesting and you start talking and you start getting bad vibes or bad behavior from this person, you don't have to accept it, whether you're a dom or a sub. You know, a lot of this obviously is coming from the doms being bad actors and the subs being preyed upon. I've certainly known and heard of subs acting badly in a kink dynamic. It's more prevalent that doms, or at least people that consider themselves doms, are acting badly in this way. And the number of times that I hear about this from my listeners who write in and say, I was talking to this person, and they were interesting, and then we started talking about kinks, and they wanted to do things that I didn't want to do, and I said no, and they immediately started degrading me and telling me I was a prude, or I didn't know how to play kink, or that they would teach me to like it, like these people said. It's far too common, and those are red flags. Walk away from that, you don't have to entertain that, and you are not in the wrong if the person that you're interested in starting a relationship with is acting badly. And it does not matter what that bad behavior is. You don't have to submit yourself. You don't have to give power to someone who you don't respect. You don't have to give power to someone because they say they're a dom or they've been in the scene for 20 years and you haven't. If they're not acting in a way that's comfortable for you and makes you feel good, they're not acting correctly, at least not for your relationship. There may be a power exchange relationship out there for them with a submissive who wants that dynamic, and that's perfectly fine. Everybody's free to make their own choices. But if you're not comfortable, if you're talking to someone and they're making you uncomfortable and making you feel bad about yourself, you do not have to accept that. Block and walk away. I know that this has been a very gendered thing where I was saying, you know, these guys are doing this. In my experience, this is a problem most prevalent with male dominance. I'm sure that there are some female dominance out there that also have this entitlement complex and act badly towards submissives. I'm sure that is the case. The people that write into me, 99.9% .9 of the time, it's guys online who think they're dominance acting badly. In this particular situation, it is very gendered. And I think that this is people getting into the scene or thinking they're part of the scene without understanding how the scene actually works. So I just want to put that out there. I do understand that top and bottom is not gendered in any way. That's absolutely true. The people that come to me saying that they've had this experience, it's with male dominance. That's just how it goes. Now we're going to move on to the second part of the Kinky Threesomes episode with Katja. From the last episode, we were talking about how it works when you're in a dominant submissive relationship with someone, having them play with either another submissive or another dominant, how those power exchange negotiations work, for example. If I'm Katja's dominant and she wants to play with another dom, that's fine, but we will have a very clear discussion about what that rule set would look like, the things they are allowed to do, the things they are not allowed to do. Again, a lot of kink comes down to communication, and healthy communication is absolutely essential for any good, healthy kink relationship. So, 
Here's the second part of that interview. That may be how I would play with Katya in a multi-dom situation. So if you met a dom and we all liked each other and we wanted to play together, I would be perfectly comfortable ceding limited authority to this other dom and saying, sure, you can do these things, but they cannot assign you daily tasks. They can't do X. They can't do this. And as long as you guys were comfortable with that, that would not I think, interfere with our authority yeah. or our relationship. This is just really not stuff we ever discussed. It's just kind of how things develop naturally. But definitely the only one that I had an absolute day-to-day -day ongoing DS relationship was her, my mm -hmm. dom. But there were other people, whether they were her partners or even close friends of hers, who I definitely didn't have a DS relationship with them per se. But if we were all together and they told me to do something... I would do it. And now mm -hmm. whatever they told me to do would be like something reasonable and, so, you know, and, and kind of servicey, like to help in some way. You know, when we would go to dom trips, which if anybody wants to ask about dom trips, I'm happy to talk about it. But it's this, this great big week-long kink event. And the organizer is a very close friend of my former dom. She, the organizer and I kind of had developed this long-term friendship. But I would say there was kind of a undercurrent of DS underlying my friendships with her friends who were also doms. So these were people who, no, we did not have any relationship where in between seeing each other, they would write me and assign me a task. I would never have said they were my dom. They would never have said I was their sub. But if they asked me to do something, I would happily do that thing. And I did have some level of submissive feeling toward them. Yeah. I, I don't know if that makes sense to you. No, it absolutely does. And it's a good point because it segues into... I frequently said, you know, one way to be a bad dom is assume that any submissive that enters your orbit, that enters your space, is suddenly your submissive, which is a really bad thing to do as a dom. So if you're in a public play space and you're a dominant person and you see someone wearing a collar and you feel like they're a submissive, some doms have a very hard time remembering that, yes, this is a submissive person, but it's not your submissive and they have not given you permission to dominate them. But in, say, a house party situation with a group of friends, yeah. it may be different in that you frequently liked and were turned on by that role of kind sure. of general household servant. Sure. So I can imagine having that situation and saying, everybody, this is Katya. And Katya is the house slave for today. And she will do whatever you need her to do. If you need a drink, Katya will be happy to do that. Making that clear so that another dom doesn't feel like they're stepping on toes or that they understand that this is exciting to the person being commanded, yeah. which and is I, kind of the key. And I guess the reason that I mentioned this particular person who's organizing this event is because, like, as you can imagine, if you're in charge of this big event with, you know, 50, 60, 70 kink attendees there are a lot of little tasks that come up mm -hmm. throughout the day all day long. And if she saw me and grabbed me and asked me, could you go do this? My dom and I never, ha I don't think, had the conversation like you are to be at her disposal at all times. But like both, one, I would help because I absolutely wanted to and I did feel some level of submission toward this friend. Mm -hmm. But also I do think my dom absolutely would have expected me to say yes, whether I wanted to or not, <laughs> even though I don't think we necessarily overtly had that conversation. And again, this is very situationally dependent. Katja and I are not likely to end up in that situation. I don't hang out with a lot of dominant people. So pretend that we go to a kink event or a leather event or some event where there are a lot of other kink players. 
I would absolutely expect you to not do anything that some other person <laughs> told you to do. You know, if someone said to you, hey, you, go get me a drink, and if you did that, you would be in trouble. <laughs> that would be, I would have words with that person, and I would have words with you, because that is not what you're there for, unless I were to say, but I wouldn't do that in a group of people where I didn't know personally everybody there. I take yeah. that responsibility of leadership and authority very seriously, and I'm not ceding that to anybody I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just kind of organic thing, but also it, it was kind of limited to like proximity to my dom, which of course is going to have a really high correlation to, well, how well do I know this person, right? Mm -hmm. But her two closest friends, yeah, absolutely. I would do whatever they said, and I think she would expect me to do whatever they said. But like some random other dom who we barely know... If she told me to do something just because I'm a sub, that would really get under my skin. And that would probably really have annoyed my dom too. So where do you draw that line? I have nothing wrong with, it seems like it worked well for you. It didn't seem like there was any conflict. No. You, did you ever feel like you were placed in a position where you didn't know what to do because you were in a group setting and someone told you to do something or expected something of you and you didn't know what your dom wanted? You didn't know what they would want you to do in that situation. No, not that I can recall. If she had told me to do something and then someone else had, I would have immediately said, you know, my dom had told me to do this thing. And they would have immediately been like, okay, you know, hands off, go do that thing. Um, and I, but I can't remember ever being in a situation where I just didn't know what to do. So it obviously worked and there was enough understanding. I do like to be very clear. I would much rather over communicate this point and before we walk into an event being like, you're here with me, you are my responsibility and no one else here can command you to do anything. And it might be, you know, going as far as saying, you're not allowed to engage with anybody. You're not allowed to talk with anybody without my direct permission. And I've certainly seen that at kink events where, you know, you walk up to a couple and it's clearly a dominant sub and the sub will stand there quietly with their hands folded and they won't engage in the conversation that's a sign to you that you also don't engage them in the conversation. That's because, you know, that could be the play that their dom and their sub are doing. And they may not be allowed to or want to or have any interaction with you. They want to be there as a piece to show off, for example. And that's fun for them in a kink setting. So if you find yourself in that situation and, the, you know, the person standing next to the person you're talking to seems completely disengaged and their eyes down, let them be that way. You know, don't try to force a conversation on that you know again this comes down to that communication that i find so very valuable in letting you know what's expected of you also finding out what you enjoy because for example i think you have intimated to me that you do have kind of a kink for i'm going to make you go do this thing with this person mm -hmm. like that is kind of hot to you mm -hmm. because i don't think it's necessarily a kink that i enjoy or something that really turns me on that will probably go unsatisfied. <laughs> but you never know. We may find ourselves in a situation where I'm like, oh, this is a good opportunity to fulfill that kink of Gotcha's that she does have kind of a, I want to be used in this fashion, but I need to know that about Gotcha, which means you need to communicate that to me. Or the counterpoint being that if that's something that you absolutely do not want to do, and that is horrifying to you, I need to know that as well, because I need to know where in our relationship are those holes, those minefields, those things that don't necessarily come up in everyday conversation like, hey, is it okay if I bring home another guy and we all have sex together? That doesn't come up over dinner usually. 
But in a kink situation where you do have power exchange, that is one of those things that I think is very important to talk about. Do those kink surveys, do those questionnaires that get into some of the more extreme and you know unusual kinks that you may not even know about just so you understand each other and what turns you on. Because at the end of the day, kink should be fun, kink should be exciting, kink shouldn't be something where you're having to make a life or death decision on the spur of a moment and you know that the wrong answer is going to be a relationship ender. That's not how kink should be. It should be comfortable and fun, exciting because you're having your limits pushed, but I can't push your limits if I don't know where your limits are. That's very important to me as a dominant. I'm glad you agree. <laughs> yeah, and I think, you know, just kind of circling back to more scene settings as opposed to kink event culture, one of my favorite memories, and it's from one of these dom trips, you know, there was a time when it was really late, and I think most of the male subs had, like, gone to bed, and I was really the only, I was always the only female sub at these events. It would be a lot of female doms there with male doms who had kind of sponsored them most of the time, and I would be, like, the only female sub. And I just remember one night when I think the boys had pretty much all gone to bed and we had this outdoor dungeon in a tent. I don't really even remember how this scene started, but I know how it ended. I remember I was, and this is a wonderful memory. It's going to sound horrifying to some people, but for me, this is a wonderful memory. I just remember how it ended is I was lying face down on the pavement after like a parade of probably up to about 10 doms had all taken turns beating me with things and one of my favorite doms saying to me crying is not a safe word and I guess the the thing I wanted to mention was my dom she was totally on board with this. She thought it was wonderful. She never would have left the tent and walked away and left me there, right? So even though there isn't hard, there wasn't necessarily someone in charge in the sense of there was no dom directing another dom. Everything was very spur of the moment. There there wasn't like a big master plan. Ultimately, she was there at the end of the day, but like ultimately she was the one kind of in charge of my safety and supervising and she's the one who knew me the best and she's the one who I think would have felt some sense of responsibility that as long as this scene was going on you know she was would not have gone anywhere in that situation because I I know that your your former dom was a, a pro dom I don't know how that family relationship works like a household relationship in that because they were a pro dom they had other submissives but I don't know how those other submissives related to you. Mm -hmm. And so I don't know if there was a family interaction, like it was you and your fellow submissives or it was you kind of off segregated in a different Yeah, because she had kind of a, there was definitely some overlap, but mostly I would say that like she had kind of her personal kink life and then she had her professional kink life, right? So most of her subs would never, she wouldn't ever have them with her at a social event. Mm -hmm. Then she might have one or two who have been serving her a long time and she would maybe at least invite them to like parties she hosted in her home, right? And then so most of the time, if it was a social event, I was the only one who was like part of this group of friends such that I would be the one invited to like parties at people's houses. So for example, at dom trips, sometimes she would have a male sub along who had like sponsored her to bring her to this event. And mostly I just kind of tried to make myself scarce because that there is like that business relationship there. <laughs> yeah. And I was fine on my own and I had 
I was very comfortable with these people. I had friends, so I didn't never felt like that family relationship with other subs. I felt closer to the other tops in her circle. In the pro dom community, and I, this is something that I don't have a lot of experience in, but I do have some tangential knowledge of. There's nothing wrong with it whatsoever. You know, I want to put that out there. It may seem strange to pay someone to dominate you, but for a lot of people in that situation, it can be very difficult for them to find partners that are suitable for them that meet their needs as a dominant, for example. And so for certain people, paying a pro-dom is really the only way they can express that part of their sexuality. And since I think that's a very healthy thing, and I think it's a very good thing, I obviously have no problem with the pro-dom world. I think you were saying that, you know, some of the people that would be paying her as clients, what they would be paying to do is like come clean her house and take care of her stuff and be kind of in a slave role. Yes and no. I don't think she would ever like have charged people money to come do that kind of servicey stuff, but they would be paying her for sessions if they had kind of built a relationship where it was turning into not just session based, but like gotten to the place where she might want to have them in her stable, she would you know, have them come do more servicey things. But I don't think she ever like charged anybody to come clean her house or like pets it. <laughs> I certainly understand the separation of these are my personal friends. These are people that don't interact with me in a professional level that I want to play with. And these are my paying clients who I have a different responsibility toward. Now, I do have something similar to that with friends that I have in kind of a professional sense. I wouldn't necessarily expect you to want to play with, for example. Whereas if I was inviting a new person into our household, them gelling not just with me, but with you and making sure that there was a camaraderie and a companionship between the two of you would be very important to me. So when I work with Lavender, you don't get a say in that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's my professional life. I work with her. I know you do enjoy Lavender and you like her, mm -hmm. but even if you absolutely abhorred her, that wouldn't matter mm -hmm. because that relationship is more professional than personal. Whereas with our other partner, Penny, that relationship is very important to me that we all get along and we all play well together. So if I was to invite a new person, person X, into our household and wanted to play on a DS level, I would want Koch's relationship with them to be something that was comfortable and that worked out. And so I would observe that very carefully. I would see that everyone gets along well. And one of your rules as a pet, as a member of my household, is that you would be expected to demonstrate how to work and how to be a good submissive to a new person. You know, you're not in charge of their training. You're not in charge of them. But I would always expect you to be a good example to them, being a more senior member of the household. In fact, currently being the most senior member of the household, your behavior and the way you interact and the way that you act with them would be crucial for you to demonstrate good behavior to them. And that's one of your actual rules, one of your, your big rules, mm -hmm. is to be a good example. And again, moving this all into the threesome situation and how it works when you're playing in a dominant role with more than one submissive or you're a submissive working with more than one submissive or more than one dominant, this definitely for me works into the threesome conversation because it goes above and beyond getting lunch at Denny's with three people. You know, we're talking about power exchange. We're talking about sometimes physical intimacy, but more often physical interaction. You know, kink is very physical. It's very kinetic. There's not a whole lot of kinks that you can do without some sort of physical contact. I say that I realize that there are things like Fendom and other power exchange, but it seems to me that, that kink is a very visceral thing. It's hands-on, and power exchange can be very hands-on. 
So when you're entering into that environment, the same rules apply as anything in the kink realm. If you're a submissive or you're a dominant and you want to involve another person in that play, whether it's another dominant, whether it's another submissive, I think having that initial communication, understanding where your sub stands on that, where that other dom stands on that, having clear, open communication is a key part of having a successful multi-person kink relationship, whether it's two people or 10. You know, having that kind of understanding, it can be a beautiful thing. You know, I've seen submissives in a relationship that they bonded so strongly that they felt closer to their fellow submissive than they did to their own sister, you know, their own family members, close friends, because they shared something that was very unique and special in that we're both submissives in a relationship with a dominant. That closeness can be almost impossible to describe how close those people can be. I've also witnessed submissives in a three-way relationship where there was a lot of tension and unhappiness and they didn't really gel well together and they didn't feel comfortable in that relationship as co-submissives to a dominant. I don't have any experience with the dominant side of that, but I assume it's very much the same. I can imagine a situation where two dominants might develop a very close bond with a shared submissive and I can definitely see them butting heads over a shared submissive. To me, the latter seems more likely based <laughs> on the dominant mindset. But, you know, as I've said before, the submissive that I had in common with another dominant, that other dominant was a friend of mine, but we never interacted in a DS environment. So that's kind of an interesting thing. We were friends casually, comfortably outside of the kink relationship, and we never actually had a conversation between each other about our shared submissive. And that's just how they were comfortable playing. I just realized I actually shared two submissives with that same dominant <laughs> in different relationships completely. So one was a very kink and submissive relationship. The other was a poly relationship that did not have any DS overtones. Mm -hmm. In that poly relationship, there was penetrative sex. In the kink relationship, there was no penetrative sex. So one person, two different rule sets, very much like you and I. I literally just realized that. I completely forgot that. I also shared a poly partner with this person. So yeah, there's definitely not one way to have a relationship. There's not one way to have a kink relationship. There's not one way to have a poly relationship. I can say that good communication, good understanding, being sensitive to the needs of your partner, whether that's a dominant partner or a submissive partner, and no matter how many people are in that relationship, making sure that you're working with everybody, sensitive to everybody's needs, and doing your best to take care of everybody in that relationship. That's the only way to have healthy, happy relationships. And do bear in mind that even if you do everything right, sometimes it just doesn't work out. And that's okay, too. you have anything else you want to add? No, I don't. Hit <laughs> that brick wall. This is why I like that you're in charge of leading the conversation. Okay, that's the end of the second part of the interview. We will come back to this again. I want to have a more practical, hands-on episode about how to actually have a three-way kink scenario, some scene suggestions, some more practical, hands-on advice for how to make this work now that we've talked about some of the communication and logistics issues involved in having a kinky three-way much like we did in the vanilla threesomes. So there's a lot more to talk about on this subject. If you have any more questions, please send those in to me. 
Next week, I'm going to put out the second part of the Race Bannon interview. If you enjoyed the first part, I think you'll like the second part even more. There's a lot more we talk about, and it's a very fascinating discussion that we have. If you have any questions for Race or comments, things that you would like to communicate to him, please send those in because he's very graciously offered to come back on the show and do follow-up interviews, talk about other topics. And that is something that I'm excited and happy to do because I think he's a fascinating person and I really appreciate his time. As we started this episode with a viewer's questions and comments, I really appreciate that and I send them special thanks for allowing me to use their real world experience to help educate the broader community here, to help reinforce that notion that King should be happy and safe and sane and comfortable. And if someone's making you uncomfortable, you're not in the wrong doesn't matter what your experience level is compared to theirs or your position in the kink world as a submissive or a dominant. You have to be comfortable. You have to enjoy this. This should be a fun thing to do, not something that causes you stress and anxiety and makes you feel bad about yourself. So while that's pretty easy, I know that it can be fraught starting these new relationships and finding partners who will respect you and who see the kink world the same way you want to play the kink world. As always, folks, consent is king. Take very good care of each other, and I'll see you next week. Wrong. <laughs> Take very good care <laughs> of each other. You're not even a new guest. No, I can't even remember. I really, can you say the whole thing? As always, consent is king. Take, Take good very good care Take of each other. Take very good care of each other. And we'll see you next, next week. week. Motherfucker. As always, consent is king. Take good care of each other. As always, consent is king. Take very good care of each other. And we'll see you next, next week. week. Hey, you did it. <laughs> You've memorized large parts of the Constitution. That's true. Guess who's going to be writing the outro on the chalkboard, <laughs> like Bart Simpson. I just wanted them to know about the purple, or they won't even know that it was purple for They won't even understand that we are being festive. We're being festive, are we? I drank a lot of whiskey. <laughs> I'm, a little, I'm a little high. All right. And scene.